I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. I'm Jeremy Moeller, and my question is, community schools are doing some really great things in Baltimore. Why aren't people talking about it? Jeremy, why do you want to know about public schools? Why do you think more people should know about them? Yeah, so I work at a organization that studies public goods, like public education, and we've been studying privatization, so things like charter schools and private school vouchers and other education policy reforms for years. But I heard about something called a community school a few years ago and have been hearing really great things around the country and in Baltimore about what these schools are doing that charter schools and vouchers aren't doing. And I'm curious why other people aren't talking about it. Why isn't it a big story? Jeremy, this is a fascinating question. We're going to get into it and see what we can figure out for you. Great. Okay, so let's start off with a definition of what exactly a community school is. What makes it different from a charter school or a traditional public school? Here to help me this episode, I've got two reporting partners from the Baltimore Banner, Hallie Miller and Kristen Griffith. Hallie and Kristen, good to have you both with me. Good to be here. And we're going to take our listeners along with us to visit a couple of community schools here in just a minute. But first... A definition. What makes a community school a community school? Hallie, you want to start? Sure. So a community school is a type of school that puts a really big emphasis on providing a whole range of extra resources and services to its students and to their families, too. And these schools can do this through government grants and partnerships with businesses and organizations in their communities. Okay. So, Kristen, we're talking about a school model here that goes well beyond the traditional academic three R's. Right. We're talking about schools that address everything from social and emotional needs to physical health to family stability. And we're going to hear how that works when we get out to visit these schools. But the idea here is that community schools take a holistic approach where the philosophy is whatever you can do to help support vulnerable students in their daily lives, the better those students are going to perform academically in the classroom. And there are a good number of these community schools already in Maryland, yes? Yeah, and that number is growing quickly. A couple of years ago, in 2019, the state passed a huge legislative package called the Blueprint for Maryland's Future. And what it said was this. For the next 10 years, Maryland is going to funnel almost $4 billion a year into funding a set of reforms to improve the state's public school system. And one of those ways to improve the system is that schools convert to the community school model. Here we are just a few years since the blueprint went into effect, and there are already more than 300 community schools across the state. And the prediction is that by 2027, about a third of the state schools are going to qualify as community schools. So how does that all work? What does it mean in practice? Let's take a look. So welcome to our beautiful new school. Kristen, you and I paid a visit to Berkshire Elementary, that's K through five school in Dundalk, and we got a tour with this woman, Principal Cheryl Brooks. Yeah, Principal Brooks has headed up Berkshire Elementary for eight years, so she's seen firsthand what it's like for a school to make the transition to a community school model. I love our school. I've seen it evolve over the years. We have about 485 students, and we just became a community school last school year. Is the number divisible by two? Yes. 
Who can tell me why? We popped into some classrooms during our visit to Berkshire Elementary. This is Mr. Denton's fourth grade math class. Uh, students in here are working on division. Down the hall, a class of third graders are doing spelling exercises in Miss Eulen's language arts class. In Ms. Steck's third grade class, there's a pizza party going on to celebrate the points they've earned in their compliment jar. And over in a fifth grade classroom, students are working on a creative writing assignment with their teacher. Here he is, Mr. Montemoris. Uh, I've been here for 14 years at Berkshire Elementary, and we are writing tall tales. We've read three different tall tales so far uh, about Davy Crockett and Mighty Kate, and we watched uh, a video about John Henry, and now we are looking at the author's craft and writing our own tall tales. I'm Josiah, and my age is 10. And tell me what you're working on. You've got a notebook there that looks like it's uh, filled with all kinds of creative ideas. What's that, what's that story about? It's about a chef that his name, his name is Chef Sean. I'm writing about a story that he has to um, feed the whole world because every restaurant is closed. Would you be willing to read what you've got? Sure. Can I hear your story? Go ahead and read it and I'll hold the microphone for you. You probably may not heard about a man named Chef Sean. He was a famous cook who made above 10,000 meals a day. He could cook blindfolded and make... So a lot of what's going on in these classrooms is, you know, pretty standard classroom stuff. But what is remarkable here is that these students are attending regularly and staying engaged with their work. And that is thanks to a really strong and elaborate network of outside the classroom supports. I would say a community school is thinking about the community, all stakeholders and their needs, and actively actively, constantly looking to find ways to support that. This is Malik Soyas. He's a community school facilitator at Berkshire Elementary. His mission is to respond to the needs of all the school's stakeholders. That means students and their families, school staff, and the surrounding community as a whole. We talked with Mr. Soyas in the school's community resource room. This is a room that is stocked with racks of clothes and shelves of household necessities uh, that are all there for students' families to take for free if they need them. A lot of this stuff has been donated by one of the school's many partners, Amazon. Um, They've also done Christmas for families because of our partnership. Um, We have a partnership with Girl Scouts, so we have a a girls' 30-week program that we started that um, encompasses students of grades 1 through 5 for young, young ladies. There's also a partnership with Maryland Arts and Education for after-school programs like bucket drumming. We had a partnership with a local barber, Platinum Cuts. They came out and did free haircuts for families for back-to-school event. Last year, the school partnered with the state health department to set up an on-site vaccination program for students' parents and their families. They've partnered with CAN, the Community Action Network, to help get students' families' electricity bills paid. And Mr. Soyas has even helped students' families get food assistance. So I personally drove them to the food stamp office, helped them with the questions because some of it, like the process can be a little bit uh, stressful, overwhelming, right? Sometimes they don't know the questions to ask. There's a growing Latino population at Berkshire Elementary, and Mr. Soyas says a lot of the students' parents are undocumented. This can have a ripple effect on the well-being of the kids, 
like limited access to medical or dental care. Something as basic as getting your teeth cleaned or toothaches, right? Because what was happening is that if it wasn't being addressed, students were actually missing days of school, right? So now we're talking about absenteeism. For, for something that is considered, and some people, maybe basic, right? Oh, yeah, go to the dentist, right? Well, I don't have that ability, but my child is saying this is painful, right? They're coming out of class. They're missing days of school. So a big part of the community school model is about listening to families, hearing what they need, and figuring out a way to respond directly. One of the things they heard from Latino parents, we want to learn English. So we provided a service, right? We had them coming in. Um, We said, you can bring your kids with you, like, you know, and you can learn here, right? So you can get access because some of this is about, like, how are we helping change and shape for the next five, ten years, right? Another family need the school has taken on, inviting parents to come in and use the school's internet-connected computers for things like job applications and filing taxes. So these are all like other needs that have kind of come about, and we're able to, in some way, shape, or form, if we don't have it all here, we're going to get you the resource. Another resource now on hand at the school, a Spanish-speaking liaison in the office. Hola, bienvenido aquí a Berkshire. Uh, me llamo Rachel Limas. Yo aquí estoy para ayudar a todos los padres, los estudiantes y todos de lo que trabajan. Rachel Limas has two girls in third grade at Berkshire. The school was able to hire her full-time to maintain open lines of communication with Spanish-speaking parents and enhance their involvement with their kids' educational experience. So in the mornings, um, I have all the Spanish-speaking parents come up to me. Um, We have very good relationships. And that led me to become part of the PTA, and I actually got to take over, and now I'm the PTA president. Um, And I just continue to hopefully continue to meet all of the parents and the children, and I really just love it here. (laughs) Okay, coming up, we're going to head from Berkshire Elementary in Dundalk over to another community school, Benjamin Franklin High School in South Baltimore. But first, Kristen and Hallie, a little more context here, if you would. Help me understand what makes a school eligible to get the funding to become a community school and put all these extra supports in place. Right. So it has to do with the school's percentage of students who are defined as living in poverty. And eligibility priority is based on how high that percentage is at a school. And once a school gets that designation and the money that comes with it, their first order of business is to hire a coordinator who's like an in-house, all-purpose social worker and neighborhood liaison. Right. That would be like Mr. Soyas at Berkshire Elementary. Exactly. And again, the philosophy behind the community school model is that kids who are from low-income families and living on society's margins, these kids tend to do worse in school. They have more absences and lower test scores and lower graduation rates than students from wealthier families. So the idea is that if a school can help meet its students' basic needs, we're talking food, clothing, and shelter, then those students can do better on standardized tests, for example, where data right now shows a pretty glaring race gap. And a big part of meeting those students' needs is something that's kind of ridiculously obvious. You ask what they need. A core tenet of the community school model is to meet regularly with students' families, ask them specifically what they need most, and then make a plan to respond to those needs. You're tuned to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Coming up, we're going to pop in at Benjamin Franklin High School and see some pretty innovative ways that school is responding to its students' needs. More in a moment.
It's around noontime at Ben Franklin High School, and students are flooding out of their classrooms and into the hallway for what is called prime time. That's a one-hour free block in the middle of the day when students can have lunch and socialize, attend clubs, meet with their teachers and other support staff. Hallie, you and I visited this school together, and we got a tour of the place from Heather Chapman. Yeah, Heather Chapman is from United Way of Central Maryland, actually. She's the vice president of Neighborhood Zones, which means part of her job is to support community schools like Ben Franklin. One of the first rooms Ms. Chapman showed us is the big all-purpose room that's used for meetings to support parents and other community members. So we've had ESOL um, classes in here before for parents and community members. GED classes, pre-GED classes have run for community. So you don't have to just have a student in the school to come and take advantage of that. Um, anyone in the community can come and take advantage of, um, of that. So this is really a shared space, you know, school and community to do those classes. Down the hall from the community room is a quiet little honeycomb of offices that Ms. Chapman calls the school's mental health suite. Um, so this space was really intentionally built. You see there's a separate door here so folks can come in confidentially if they need to. There's an in-house clinician here, and they've also got a crew of grad students from the University of Maryland School of Social Work interning on site to help support the kids. The goal really is to get to the root of whatever's going on so that they don't, you know, we don't see them continue to bounce out of class and out of school and all of those things. How do we get them connected with services here so that they can um, just have support in what they're dealing with, um, not just in school, but outside of school as well. The goal for a community school is to be a resource hub in the neighborhood where it sits. This is Kelly Oglesby, community school coordinator at Ben Franklin. The ultimate goal of her job is simple student success. It's how you get there that's the complicated part. So therefore the work involves really anything because lack of sustainable food at home, lack of work, community safety, those things obstruct students as well. So coordinators work inside schools and in community as well. And everybody has, we have common areas of work, but we do needs assessments. And so you customize what those buckets look like to reflect the school and the community that you're working in. One of the customizations at Ben Franklin has come about in response to the fact that several of the kids at the school are raising kids of their own. I'm Michelle Gross. I'm the Family Center Director, and we're inside of the Ben Franklin Family Center. Ms. Gross runs a full-scale, on-site daycare center for the infants and toddlers of 13 student parents. There's a playroom in there, an area with cribs and changing tables, and another room with a big circular table where the student parents come every day to have lunch with their little ones. What's for lunch? What are you eating? Uh, I eat a pizza. We have from eight weeks to four-year-olds. You just talked to our, fo- our oldest student. It is remarkably quiet and peaceful in here, considering that you've got like a half dozen infants and toddlers. Yes, the children um, are very calm during lunchtime. So, <laughs> And they've had an excited day, so they played and did water play today and different activities that will wear them out. So it's getting close to nap time. So, Hallie, we should say that Benjamin Franklin High School has been a community school for a long time. They were one of the first schools in the area to take that leap. This was years before the blueprint for Maryland's future came along. And so my question for you and Kristen is this. Now that there's all this state funding and momentum behind the push for more schools to adopt this community school model, how is that quick scale up going to look? Are we at a point now where it's so quick and easy for a school to sign up and do this without really knowing what they're getting into? Are we getting into a situation where we're sacrificing quality for quantity? 
Yeah, we put that question to several people, and there are some concerns out there about best practices. Shamoya Gardner is the executive director of Strong Schools Maryland. That's the advocacy arm behind the blueprint. And she told us that there are some school coordinators who don't feel like they've gotten enough support from the state's education department, especially under the administration of Governor Larry Hogan. He opposed the blueprint, by the way. There's also the fact that the state's director of community schools position is currently occupied by an interim director, according to the state's website. And another problem, Ms. Gardner told us, is that some local school districts and even some principals feel like implementing community schools is more of a mandate than an opportunity. She said, pre-blueprint, if you really wanted to become a community school, you had to buy in, fiscally and philosophically. And that feels a whole lot different than just being told from above, hey, now you're going to become a community school. Yeah, that said, the state is all in on community schools. Strong Schools Maryland this year is pushing for an amendment to the blueprint that would require the Maryland Education Department to identify low-performing community schools and have the governor appropriate more annual money for technical assistance for them. Meanwhile, the Blueprint's Accountability Board is staffing up, and that's inspiring more confidence. And the message from the people behind Blueprint is basically, we understand that the quick expansion is going to be bumpy, but it's based on a solid, proven model. Community schools work, and we're going to make them work in even greater numbers all across the state. Kristen and Hallie, thank you both for your reporting and for being with me this episode. Thanks, Thanks. Aaron. That is going to wrap it up for this week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is an original production of WYPR in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Big thanks this week to Banner reporters Hallie Miller and Kristen Griffith. They co-wrote a great deep dive article on community schools, which you can find along with all their other good work at thebaltimorebanner.com. And uh, thanks to all of you listeners, by the way, for your excellent questions. Uh, I've got lots of calls out to folks regarding your various inquiries, lots of lines in the water as I uh, endeavor to try and find answers to your questions. And um, hey, if you've got a question of your own that you'd like me to look into, you can always be in touch through the show's website. That's wypr.org slash curiosity. So uh, thanks again for your great questions and um, keep them coming. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening, and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.